Hello and welcome to the Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week we're here to help you persevere through the tough times, be your most productive self and get that work in progress published. Wherever you are in your publishing journey, we've got your back. This week we're talking about the do's and don'ts about how to write a large, diverse cast of characters. And a big welcome high five to our new patron, Austin Rogers. Thank you so much for your support. Big shout out to our podcast patrons for all of your support. And shout out to our friend Matty Dalrymple for joining us on Patreon. As a patron, you'll get early access to episodes, the chance to submit questions for our guests, and access to our bonus series, Healthy Habits. Healthy Habits isn't your typical productivity advice. We're not here to tell you to get up at 4am and go for a three-hour run. Hell no. We're exploring the latest research to find small changes you can make in your life to be happier, healthier, and more productive in your writing life and beyond. To start developing healthier habits today, come join our community at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset before we start i just wanted to let you know that i've got a new course it's all about how to write brilliant backstories we're going to take a look at why your backstory matters the type of things you might need to know how to avoid the dreaded info dump and some common things that may impact your characters lives such as their upbringing or their work situation all this stuff even if it doesn't make it into your book is really good marketing content and let's not forget that it will give your characters more depth helping you with everything from your world building to how much of an emotional relationship your readers form with your characters. And the deeper that relationship is, the more likely they are to keep reading, to read your next book, to read your next series, and to recommend your book to their friends. So if you would like to find out more, visit writerscookbook.com forward slash backstory. And don't forget that podcast patrons get 10% off all our courses at the Writer's Cookbook. This week, we are covering something that means a lot to me. It's actually something I tell people not to do. And I will explain why before we get into our tips. We're talking about writing what I call an ensemble cast, which is kind of like more of a TV film sort of terminology. But basically, it's a large, diverse cast of characters. And if you've ever read any of my books, you will know I can't not write a large cast. The What Happens in books have four points of view, and that was my first series. The Hollywood Gossip books have two points of view, but they both kind of have their own lives and their own worlds and their friends and their work circles and all of that. So again, a lot of characters. And Afterlife Calls has two points of view, but there's like seven seven side characters. Is that right, Ellie? Am I calculating my own characters right? <laughs> I can't keep track of them all. There's too many. I haven't counted them. <laughs> yeah, fair point. I can't keep track of them all either. It does vary from book to book as well. But the point is like, when you have a large cast of characters, it does make life harder which is why i generally advise people not to do it it's kind of like diving into the deep end of the swimming pool i am actually writing my first book at the moment that is single point of view and finding that quite interesting good not necessarily easier but it does fit the characters more for reasons that will become clear towards the end of the project i don't want to say any more on that at the moment because it's very much a side 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 project um but my point is that Ensemble casts, I really enjoy writing for the most part, and I tend to skew towards watching and reading things that have these large casts as well. 
but there are a lot of examples out there where they've done it badly. Or some characters, particularly as time goes on, then get neglected at the expense of others and they get like really shitty or non-existent subplots and they're just kind of there and then that's it. So we're going to look at ways how you can avoid characters just being there and not really doing anything interesting or moving the story forwards or being anything more than a prop for your main character. I know you've talked in the past about your obsession, addiction, however you want to call it, to a large cast, but uh, it works. I mean, the characters that you create are three-dimensional. They are not just there for a reason, you know, I mean, not just there for no reason. (laughs) They are there for a reason. They have depth and they have backstories and they have interesting things about them that make you want to come back. You know, like Fadil, one of the characters in your Afterlife Call series, is one of my favourite characters ever because he's just great and he's brilliant and he's not necessarily the primary focus in, in most of the books, but he still brings something to the books and that's what I love about him. Thank you. He's one of my favourites to write and actually in book five, The Mean Girl's Murder, I'm going to lean even more into his comedy and how acerbic he is because the entire situation of book five is already pretty batshit so he is just like poking fun at it and also poking fun at himself because i think when you have characters in those ridiculous situations if someone's not cracking a joke there is something inherently wrong and your side character is a great way to do that it's me i'm normally the one making inappropriate jokes in serious situations (laughs) i'm that character (laughs) no comment The technique we want to start with is to give your cast of characters some common ground with your main character. Otherwise, there's not really any point in them being there, right? For instance, even your antagonist should have something in common with your main character. Most of the time, they're both after the same goal, but for completely different reasons and using completely different methods. Thanos from the Avengers films is actually a really good example because what he's doing, okay, yes, on the surface, he's wiping out half of humanity, but he's doing it to give that other half a better quality of life. So you can't really question that. And even like the Avengers can't question that because they also help humanity to give people a better quality of life. So yes, what he's done is completely wrong, but it does kind of raise that moral question in you as a viewer, like if there were fewer people, would there be more, well, there would be more resources to go around, you know, but how do you choose who that 50% of the population to essentially obliterate, I've forgotten the term they use, is. And I think that actually adds a layer of depth to the Avengers films and to superhero films that you don't get, particularly in the earlier ones. It really raises a lot of interesting moral questions. Ellie's just nodding because she hasn't seen the Avengers films yet, but she's basically heard all the spoilers from interviews now. (laughs) No, I actually haven't because I've seen up to, I forget the name of it. I've not seen Endgame or anything after that, but I've seen like the start of Thanos stuff. (laughs) (laughs) that did take 10 years of build-up so i'm not sure that counts (laughs) because you just like see him in a shot at the end no no i've seen where he's like collecting the the fancy glove and um the fancy uh... glove (laughs) (laughs) the infinity Um, gauntlet i don't know why i remember that to be fair with the and the stones that's before endgame i honestly can't remember they've merged together in my head because i've only seen a lot of them once So yeah, the point is that regardless of what genre you're writing, your antagonist, which can include your love interest in a romance, or if you've got a romance subplot, should be trying to achieve the same 
goal with a vastly different method and that's what creates a lot of your core conflict and makes things much more interesting you could also have a mentor character or a best friend you can also make sure that they have common elements in their backstory for instance working in the same industry that's how they meet perhaps you know having growing up as childhood friends something like that to make sure they have more stuff in common yeah, one thing I did for what happens in New York was both Faith and Liam had experienced the death of a close family member. And even though he is like this, you know, millionaire movie star and she's a bartender from Scotland, on the surface, they've got nothing in common, but they bond over that shared grief that a lot of people in their early 20s may not have experienced. And that gives a lot more depth to their relationship and makes you understand why they've got this connection. So... Tip number two, and this is probably one of my favorites, actually, and that's that everyone needs a purpose in your story. And when I first came up with the idea for Afterlife Calls, one of the first characters that had a name, actually, was called Rochelle. And she was the middle child in the kind of side family, if you will. These are the ones that often end up suffering because the main characters can see ghosts. And Rochelle was the middle child. She's about 10 years old. She's got a younger sister who's five. She's got an older brother who's 17, 18. And she was in the original plan that I came up with. And the more I fleshed out the story and the characters, the more I thought, she's not doing anything. And I don't know what to do with her. Like, I had very clear ideas for almost every other character, but there was just nothing for Rochelle. And so I decided very early on that even though I didn't necessarily like the idea, I cut her out. And I like to kind of think of it, this is another F1 analogy, by the way, but everyone who is kind of vaguely interested in F1 will focus on the driver, right? And the driver is obviously the one out on the track for those however many hours every weekend driving the car. But it's not just them doing the work. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of engineers, of designers, of whatever else in the team creating those cars and also assisting the driver, advising the driver, changing the tires on race day. There is a lot of people behind the scenes that you don't always see on camera, but that make a massive difference to the success of that team. And without that team the driver wouldn't be able to do what they do. And you can think of your main character as your driver and the rest of your cast is that team pushing them along the track, not literally pushing them. Obviously, the car can go on its own. But they are the ones who help you get around that track and get to that finish line. Because if you have one of those key players missing, then your main character may not get there as successfully or may not get there at all. And your story mate therefore will not get there at all either. So it's really important that, you know, and the same as in a business, everyone there should serve a purpose. You don't want someone there who's literally just like sat playing on social media all day or playing mobile games, right? You want every character to work for their purpose. Maybe, hey, they've got a thing for playing mobile games, which is a point we'll get to later. But, you know, if you're not sure that your characters are all serving a purpose, could you merge them? Can you push them further? You need to be really honest with yourself about how they serve your plot and interact with other characters. And if you get to a point like maybe you're writing a series and you don't want to do them anymore, can you write them to go out with a bang rather than a fizzle? Because there's nothing worse than a character who just like fades or fizzles or, you know, just doesn't really do anything anymore except just stand there and like i like to use nate from gossip girl the tv show as an example because he got really boring towards the end and at the start he was one of the main characters 
the actor who played him, Chase Crawford, has really, really good comedic timing, but they never used that. And when they eventually did give Nate plots, they were nearly always about his love life, occasionally about his parents, but most of them are just not very good. And as a fan of the character and as a fan of the show, it really, really annoyed me. And rant. It's a worthy rant to include because there are some characters out there, and I don't want to name names and shit on people, but there are definitely characters out there in TV shows and films and books that just do nothing and it's it's so frustrating to see because there's potential there right you can make your story better if you start using those people and having them add to your story not just stand in the corner <laughs> and if they are standing in the corner kill them off kill them off with a bang preferably yes i also wanted to for our number 3 point had to go back and scroll and count them. For number three point, it's important that your characters have their own backstory and arc. Like I said, don't leave them standing in the corner for no reason. You don't know who they are, where they came from. Make sure your reader knows where they came from, who they are, why they're standing there in the corner, doing something preferably, juggling, I don't know. But make sure that they are unique characters that stand on their own so they they have that backstory even if it's not included in the book you know where they came from because that influences them as a character and makes them deeper you want to know that in the story whether it's book one or over the the longer series that they have their own character arc and it doesn't have to be major it doesn't have to take away from the main narrative but they should develop as characters over the course of your story or series because they're people people develop over time right yeah, one thing I often see in romance novels is the main character's best friend or sibling is quite often planning a wedding or they are further ahead in their romantic life. So maybe they're married with children, they might be pregnant. So they've still got a goal and something that's going to happen to them over the course of the book, but it's not distracting from the main plot because it's a very different stage of life. Exactly, and that makes sense because, like you say, you don't hang around with a bunch of people that are just doing nothing in their lives, do you? you know? Well, I hope it's... not, because that's really well, boring. <laughs> exactly. But generally speaking, even if it's a small scale, like, I don't know, decorating the living room, or that was a silly example, but you know what I mean? It could be a very small scale thing. It doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be getting married and having kids or anything like that, because obviously a lot of characters won't. But there should be something going on in those characters' lives and something that they're working towards because generally speaking, people are working towards something. Exactly. And it's also important that these characters aren't all shiny and polished. You want them to have some sort of flaw and that could be they've got a particularly brusque way of speaking and don't treat people very well or maybe your antagonist has a soft spot for cats. You know, you want something that chips away at that veneer so give your antagonist something positive like i often give mine a love of dogs because i'm a dog person or if they are your um, main character give them something negative and don't be afraid of doing that for example urban fantasy the main character is often quite abrupt and not necessarily all that likable but they are driven to help people and solve the crime of the mystery within the book and if they were goody two-shoes trying to solve that it would be really jarring are you suggesting that having a soft spot for cats is a flaw no 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 i'm, I'm saying it's a good thing you're in well yeah okay maybe i didn't phrase that right <laughs> I, I mean something that like chips away at that perfectly polished veneer of them being almost like a statue or a caricature. You want them to feel human and so that's why you give them a trait that goes almost directly against what you expect of them. 
but obviously they need a reason for it like maybe they grew up with cats for example or maybe they don't have a very good relationship with their parents and that's why they're very blunt there needs to be a reason it's not just something you do for the sake of doing it i mean i'd argue that adding cats into every book would make them more interesting but sure let's let's it's better to have a reason definitely There's a really good example, actually, in the Dresden Files books, which I've spoken about a few times, but there's a character called Bob, Bob the Skull, who is a skull. Um, <laughs> it's like a, for want of a better word, like demon trapped in a skull, basically. A spirit, a knowledgeable spirit who's served many different people. But that's the thing, he's not just there, and he does help Harry sometimes, a lot of times. He doesn't know everything, he can't do everything, but more importantly, he has a backstory. Like, he's done a lot of other stuff, which explains why he can help Harry in some instances. And also, he is part of the storyline. He does have a character arc through the series, and he has his own kind of side story, almost, which just makes him feel so much more interesting and gives him depth, and he's not just there to fix problems for Harry he's his own person you know yeah and I think there's something to be said in particularly for your side characters drawing out their arc or the journey that they go on you don't have to wrap it up neatly in one book that can be the thread that draws the books in your series together if you want absolutely because he's just so funny the character effortlessly so because he doesn't have that many scenes to be honest with you he's not in but I think he's probably in every book briefly at least but he's not always there and he has such a big impact even though he's not you know in every scene or anything like that exactly he's one of the main things i remember about book the first one is that there was a skull that just chilled in his basement and helped him like with spells and stuff Number four on our list is having memorable characteristics and voices so not only just making your characters deep and interesting give them something on the page that makes them memorable. Like I say, Bob has his taste for erotic novels. He also likes to say inappropriate things to Harry. Just loads of little things like that 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 make him more memorable. Yeah, one thing that sticks in my mind is from Stuart McBride's Cold Granite and the Logan McRae series is that one of the... I've forgotten his role now, but he's like one of the bosses. He has an obsession with eating sweets. Like, he is always eating something while they're talking, particularly if he's, like, thinking or stressed or something. And you don't get a lot of his backstory, but he, because of that one kind of characteristic, he inherently becomes memorable anyway. And I think if you've got some flat characters who don't necessarily go on a journey, because all books have one or two of them, then those little habits, like the erotic novels, like eating sweets an unhealthy amount and always having something but always like then offering it to everyone around him it makes him memorable and tells you something about the type of person that they are without having to go into all of the depth of writing out their backstory in the book particularly if it's not relevant to your plot but you already know it and obviously that can be the temptation sometimes Definitely. Another good one is to make the way they speak more interesting. Not too much. I I find it quite cringy when a character has a really strong accent and it's every other word is changed and that's a bit much. It makes it hard to read, right? But if they do have a little bit of a dialect, if they, you know, gesticulate quite a lot when they're talking, if they use a lot of pauses, for instance, you can 
bring out characteristics of someone through the nuances and the way that they speak. They may use language in a different way, like if they if they do come from a different country and they're not speaking their first language, you may find that they use words in a different way, like people, people generally do. And that can make them stand out, particularly if there's multiple different characters that, like you say, don't necessarily have big arcs, but it'll help them stand out and feel unique and feel that depth. Because if you're hearing a character speak and it's different to every other character, that gives you some of their backstory in a way, it tells you something about them without you having to explicitly write it on the page. Yeah, one of my friends, he worked on a book once and one of his side characters spoke exclusively in Shakespearean language. That sounds really cringy. <laughs> it's a good example, I think, though, of how to give your character a unique voice. It was very hard to write for obvious reasons, because no one talks like that anymore. But it did make that character memorable, and he was, for obvious reasons, the comic relief in what could be quite a dark story. Well, fair enough, then. I can imagine it's one of those things where, if it's done well, it can bring a lot to the story. But I don't think I could do that well. I think I would <laughs> just make it silly. <laughs> Maybe oh, that's I just me. Write in Shakespearean language. <laughs> no. Another thing I would say... It's kind of off on a tangent, but I want to highlight it here while we're talking about voice and language use. Don't give your main character a really strong accent. Don't like clip lots of letters and things unless it's like for a scene where they're drunk. Just write it in plain English or whatever language you're writing in because it is really jarring to have someone phonetically spell how the main character speaks. If you're going to do that, you almost want to go all in and do your entire book that way, which is probably going to be very challenging unless you're writing lithic but yeah don't give them a heavy accent that is phonetic by all means add in you know little turns of phrase like if you're writing a scottish character add in like using we for example or i write characters set in the midlands so i say things like mardi quite a lot but using those turns of phrase the local dialect is a very good way to world build it's a good way to add depth to any character but please, please, please do not spell how your main character speaks phonetically because it is really horrible to read. Yeah, I think I would probably put a book down if it was too much of that. If you have a small side character that appears once and you want them to have a strong accent, that's the perfect place to use it, in my opinion, because you get to experiment with that kind of accent and have a little bit of fun with it if you're used to the accent, if it's your accent in particular. But it's not going to be... make you know, create a barrier between the reader and the story, which is what it would do if it was the entirety of the main character's speech. Exactly. There is a reason in Will and Grace that Will and Grace are quote-unquote more normal than Karen and Jack. Karen and Jack are much more interesting as characters. Karen has a very high-pitched voice that the actress puts on to play that role, but without Will and Grace, the more normal characters, I use the term very loosely, then it would be less accessible for the audience, particularly at a time when Will and Grace came out in 98 and you weren't seeing a lot of representation on screen. But your main character is generally your way into the story, so they need to be a little bit more grounded than everyone else. Absolutely. There are lots of ways you can bring some backstory into your characters without having to put it on the page. There's a really good example from Gilmore Girls, which Christina came up with but I'm stealing, in which Patty, one of the characters who isn't one of the main characters but she comes up quite a lot, in what I think is the very first episode, she says the line, hands in the air, not in the nose, which is 
just sort of said in passing and you don't necessarily think much about it but it's actually related to dance she's a dance teacher so when she says just a small line like that if you know about dance perhaps you already know more about that character just from one small line that she says in passing and also it tells you a lot about her comedic timing her relationship with the children the fact she didn't take herself or the dance teaching too seriously and that's kind of one of the th- I think they're doing like a sweeping shot of the town as either Rory or Lorelai are walking through the town when she says it and then they kind of greet Miss Patty and I think she is a really good example of an interesting side character she also tells a lot of stories about like when she worked I think in Hollywood or for the theatre maybe both and you know you only get fragments of that but those fragments themselves are very interesting stories and they give her a lot more depth and she has quite a unique way of speaking sometimes as well. She tends to be quite blunt. Another example is catchphrases. You've got to be really careful when you use them. Really careful. But there is an example from Denise Grover Swank's Rose Gardner series. Series is. She's got two. The Mysteries and Investigations, I think. And Rose Gardner has this catchphrase where she says crappy doodles. And you can like get mugs from the merch shop saying that and stuff. And that I think that's a really good use of a catchphrase. Because in a lot of cases, catchphrases can be cringe. But this fits the main character and the world and everything very well. And it's memorable enough that, you know, readers want it on a mug. You should start printing mugs that say frazzle, by the way. <laughs> I have genuinely considered it. I considered um, uh, what was the other one? One says frazzle, and one says frick. Say oh, frick. she doesn't say that. Oh, I thought you said fiddlesticks. She says fiddlesticks. Fiddle that's, that's it. The reason I did that is because, like, paranormal women's fiction isn't as sweary as I am, and also I wasn't allowed to swear growing up. And so I had to come up with my own swear word. There is a term for that, but I forget what it is. And frazzle was one of the main ones I used. And so that's why Edie says it. Because I was Edie's age when I was saying frazzle because I wasn't allowed to swear around my family. That's so funny. That I love that. It's, it's adorable. I just, I think, I think like faux swear words like that are so cute. But when Edie does it, it sort of adds that to her, you know, it adds that mm-hmm. kind of not innocence but she's not just out and out swearing she kind of wants to curb her language that little bit and i think that's nice that adds something more to her as well my personal favorite is when she says frazzle and then something else happens and she says double frazzle that's I've only classic. Done once or twice. <laughs> Love it. we'll get a double tip frazzle mug <laughs> tip number five is to give them a unique hobby and it may seem unusual compared to what they do like the sweet eating police chief or from Red, White and Royal Blue, which I finished recently, the main character and his sister are the children of the President of the United States. And his sister actually loves reading celebrity gossip, which sounds really weird for someone who is the child of one of the most powerful people in the world, because they're probably going to be in that gossip column quite a lot. But it does become useful later in the book, which I think is quite powerful. You don't have to do that, but if you can give someone a hobby that they can then use, like the main character's friend in the book happens to love numbers and analytics, and that also becomes useful and helps him to achieve the end goal in the book. And if you can do that, then yes, it's harder, but I think it gives the reader almost a sense of satisfaction and a deeper understanding of these character relationships. There's, um, obviously I've got Dresden Files on the brain now, but there's a character who who is a side character in Dresden Files, and obviously I can't remember his name because it's me, but he's like a mortician and he is really into poker music and it becomes like part of him and like you hear that, well, you don't hear 
you write they write about Harry hearing the music and stuff and it's just so random <laughs> but it adds so much to that character just because it becomes like he's really into it and he like wears the outfits and he does all of the the, the whole shebang and it's just great it's just great <laughs> just a, just a small little thing on a side character that becomes so memorable Speaking of, actually, one of my other favourite examples is the Good to the Last Death series by Robin Peterman, which I've talked about before. And she has one of the largest casts I have ever seen for a single point of view book. And it's written in first person. And I can't tell you how many characters there are because it changes from book to book. But there's just so many. There's her love interest. She's got like three best friends. There's two other immortals. Uh, no, there's another immortal. Then there's one that comes and goes causing trouble. There's like, we're getting into like 10 to 15, basically. I don't want to say spoilers, but it gets my abusive. And it sounds ridiculous. But actually, a lot of these side characters, they, they do have their own way of talking. But the other thing that makes them memorable is like some of them love really random facts. And in the middle of a high intense situation or when they're slowing down a bit, you know, having those kind of breaks before you get mad they will have like a fact off so they will try and give them as many weird facts as possible and see who can come up with the most bizarre or the most disgusting and as someone who loves weird facts it's absolutely hilarious and there are also some characters who love watching daytime tv some of them are obsessed with twilight and compare the characters who have magical powers to twilight and constantly asks things like do you sparkle so it adds a little bit of um comedy to it as well as adding that depth and making them much more diverse diversity is point number six here because Diversity is what readers want. It'll make your characters more interesting, especially if you're indie where you can take more risks. People want to read it. It's worth taking that risk. More diverse characters will appeal to a more diverse audience. So that works in your favor too. You know, not all of your audience will relate as strongly to your main character as some of the others will. If you have a more diverse range of people, you're appealing to a wider audience. When it comes to diversity though, there are some things to be aware of. Don't do diversity for the sake of it. And if you are doing diversity, make sure you're doing it respectfully. There is a well-known trope, which is I think colloquially referred to as bury your gaze, in which people add these diverse characters in with queer characters and, and don't necessarily build them out as much as they should do and then kill them off. There's multiple instances where the queer characters are more likely to die than the straight characters and even if they're not killed off they're not allowed to be happy you know the whole focus of their storyline is suffering it's being miserable we don't want to do that we don't want to include diverse characters just to make them miserable and kill them off right so make sure you're being wary of things like that if you are building a diverse cast and make sure that you are being respectful in all of the ways that you do that yeah and there are lots of resources on the internet that can help you to do that even if you're writing about something you haven't experienced before reddit is quite a good one actually all social media is to be honest and also youtube you can find pretty much anything on youtube if you'd rather watch than read about stuff and the, the thing that bothers me about bury your gaze is the fact that no one's life is pure suffering Everyone has those brief moments of happiness, no matter how dark their days are, before someone was depressed, after someone comes out of that depression. You know, depression is generally a feeling of numbness, but not every single queer person is depressed. You know, not every single one of them has mental health problems. And 
I think it's really important that as writers we represent that because that is what will make the world a more accepting and open place we do have a responsibility as writers to reflect the diversity of the world absolutely and the world is diverse if your world isn't diverse go out there and diversify it and then write about it because it's well worth doing (laughs) exactly so the final point we've got is to treat every one of your characters like they are the main character in their own story even if they're a side character in yours So your best friend is going to be a side character in your story, but they're going to be the main character in their own. If you've ever seen The Holiday, there's a really good line in there where the kind of mentor character, sort of mentor, sort of friend, he's just a really good character, but I've forgotten his name. And he says to Kate Winslet's character that she's acting like the best friend when she's a leading lady. And it kind of triggers this epiphany in her that she's not taking charge of her own life. And you want to make sure that those side characters do take charge of their own lives and that they have some level of agency and decision making they're not just like along for the ride the side characters aren't just there to further the story of your main character they have their own stories and they should that's going to make them more interesting exactly you don't have to know every minute detail but the more you know or the more you figure out along the way if that's more your thing then the easier you will be able to bring them to life both for yourself and your readers and if they feel more alive for you then you're gonna have more that you can do for them going back to Fadil who we mentioned at the start you know his kind of arc feels like it wraps up in book four but actually I have something quite important for him later on and it's not necessarily directly related to the books but it ties back into the diversity and representation that i don't think you see very much in books and so it is therefore important for me to cover i do have one final bonus tip that i wanted to share with all our lovely listeners and it's just something to remember don't jump to a massive cast it's important to have a diverse cast of characters and i think it's worthwhile having multiple characters if you can manage that because it does make the book more interesting when you've got more people around the story but don't go from two characters to 20 now you know build up to that unlike what christina did build up to having a big cast if you want a big cast do it but don't expect to be perfect at it overnight and don't have them all in one scene Keep it as few as possible in a scene. Tying back to one of our earlier points, make sure they have a reason to be in the scene. If they don't need to be there, send them home. Send them <laughs> send out with a dog. Home. Off you Just go. Excuse me. Bye bye. Out the scene. Off you go. <laughs> well, well, it's true. If they don't need to be a part of that conversation, not having them in that scene gives them depth because then they're not just there for the purpose of your main character. They are at work. They are looking after a pet or a child, you know, Tying back to bad examples, there was a show I watched recently, and I think it was the penultimate episode, they made a big deal about this character apparently being a father, and he never knew he had a child. And it was all about him and his new partner bonding with this child. And then in the next episode, they were at a dinner party with their friends. There's no mention of the child, and everyone who would have babysat for them was in the room. What yeah, happened just... to the child? Yeah, it felt like they were going, here's some story for this character. Oh, no, never mind, he's busy now. <laughs> Yeah, it really, really annoyed me that they didn't think of something as basic as who's babysitting. And that's something that bugs me in general when, like, characters have a child or they have a pet and, like, it's not explained who's looking after them. It's only one eye. 
you can afford that one line to say like your your parent is looking after the dog or they're babysitting or you've got you're paying someone to do it you know it, it's what would happen in real life so it makes your characters more realistic and again adds more depth to them definitely the dog deserves a story man don't forget the dog <laughs> And the dog does not deserve to be shut in a bathroom for 18 hours. Who does Uh, that to the dog? Yeah, we won't talk about that book. No, let's not. No. But that's all of our tips for the do's and don'ts of managing an ensemble cast. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, make sure you subscribe to The Writer's Mindset on YouTube or your favourite podcast platform. Or all of them, we don't mind. Everything from a like to a rating to a review to a subscribe to shouting about us on social media helps us to reach more writers so that they can overcome the mindset issues that are holding them back with their writing too. If you're on social media, come join us on Instagram at Writers Mindset Pod or join our Facebook group, which you can find by searching for the Writers Mindset. And don't forget to come join us over on Patreon for our bonus series, Healthy Habits. See you next time. Keep writing. Keep writing.